hadith, and particularly in the book of Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah. She says, لَوْ أَلْدَ أَوَّلَ مَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ لَا تَشْرَبُ الْخَمْرِ لَقَالَ النَّاسِ وَاللَّهِ لَا نَتْرُبْ نَشْرَبَ الْخَمْرِ أَبَدًا And she goes and she says, وَلَوْ أَنَّ أَوَّلْ مَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ لَا تَزْنُوا لَقَالَ النَّاسِ لَا نَتْرُكْ أَزْزِنَا أَبَدًا وَلَكِنْ كَانَ أَوَّلْ مَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ صُوَرٌ مُفَصَّلٌ فِيهَا ذِكْرُ الْجَنَّةِ وَالنَّارِ حَتَّى ثَابَتِ الْقُلُوبِ إِلَى رَبِّهَا ثُمَّ نَزَلَ الْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ We find that in the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells us in a hadith أَنَّ الْإِيمَانِ لَيَخْلَقُ فِي جَوْفِ أَحَدِكُمْ كَمَا يَخْلَقُ الثَّوْبَ فَاسْأَلُوا اللَّهَ تَعَالَى أَنْ يُجَدِّدَ الْإِيمَانِ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ The Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that Iman weighs off it diminishes, it decreases in the heart of every Muslim like a piece of cloth or like a soap or like a dress wears often wears old so does Iman Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says فَاسْأَلُوا اللَّهَ تَعَالَى أَنْ يُجَدِّدَ الْإِيمَانِ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ So Allah says ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to renew your faith in your hearts. And I know that this is a continuous struggle. This is a daily, lifelong struggle. Every Muslim, every sincere Muslim struggles with his iman. Tries to keep it at a particular level. Sometimes it goes under the level and sometimes it goes over the level. But the question of how to improve our iman is a question that we need to answer. Nabi Sallallahu of course, gave us a very short answer. He says, جَدِّدُوا إِيمَانَكُمْ بِلَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Renew your faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by constantly having the words of La ilaha illallah on your tongue. So the words La ilaha illallah, of course La ilaha, if we only knew the meaning, yeah, my brothers and sisters, and the importance of la ilaha. It is the foundation of our faith. It is the foundation of taqwa. It is the foundation of our belief. And it's very important. So every one of us, male and female, wants to have a strong iman. Because we realize that it's only the iman that keeps us away from that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is displeased with. And Iman is that which makes you feel good. If you have a strong Iman, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel nice. It makes you feel close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in what I read, what Aisha said, the statement of Aisha gives us a clue as to how to deal with the illness of the absence of Iman in the hearts. What did Aisha say? Aisha said, لَوْ أَنَّ أَوَّلَ مَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنَ لَا تَشْرَبُ الْخَمْرَ لَقَالَ النَّاسِ وَاللَّهِ لَا نَتْرُكَ الْخَمْرَ أَبْدًا Aisha said, if the first 
verses that were revealed in the Quran was, do not drink wine, the people would have said, we will never leave the drinking of wine. And she goes further and she says, وَلَوْ أَنَّ أَوَّلْ مَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ لَا تَزْنُوا And if the first verses of the Holy Quran was, had told the young nascent Muslim community in Makkah not to commit adultery, the people would have said, Wallahi, we will never leave the commission of adultery. Walakin. But she says, كَانَ أَوَّلْ مَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ سُوَرٌ مُفَصَّلٌ The first verses that was revealed of the Holy Quran were the short surahs. You know the end of the Quran, surah to, uh, whole of surah, Juz uh, Amma, for example, all the short surah was revealed in Makkah. Fiha dhikrul jannah wa And what is mentioned in those short surahs? What did Allah Subhanahu concentrate on? The mention of Jannah and Jahannam. The mention of Jannah and Nar. Hatta thabatil qulub ila rabbiha. Until the hearts of the new Muslims became strong and firm and returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thumma nazar al-harami wal-halal. And then afterwards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verses on that which is halal and that which is haram. So Aishata radiyallahu anha explains to us that it is because of the weakness of the iman of the early Muslims that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concentrated on reminding them of Jannah and Jahannam. And the reminder of Jannah and Jahannam helps the good Muslim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, فَذَكِّرْ فَإِنَّ ذِكْرَ تَنْفَعُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah says, and remind the Muslims, remind him of the deen, of Jannah and Jahannam, of taqwa, of iman, and so forth and so on, of the absence of shirk and all these things. Allah subhanahu wa says, remind the Muslims, for verily, in the reminding the Muslims is a benefit for the whole of humanity. And it's important that we continuously think about Jahannam and Jannah. Doesn't matter what you think. Allah's not going to punish you for what you think. It's good, it's good to think about Jannah and what is waiting for you in Jannah. It's good to think what you will have in Jannah. It's good to think what you will wish for in Jannah. Even if the things that you wish for in Jannah was not to be found in the time of Muhammad We know that everything that a Muslim, a mu'min who reaches Jannah, everything that he thinks of will appear in front of him, even before he asks for it. So the constant thinking of Jannah and Jahannam improves the iman of a Muslim. And why do we need to be reminded? Because we live in the dunya, we're surrounded by the dunya. And because we are surrounded by the dunya, we need to be reminded of the akhirah. And Jannah and Jahannam is part of the, is, is the akhirah. And if we want to be reminded of Jannah and Jahannam, we have to look at the Quran and Sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, hatta thabit al-qulub ila rabbiha. And Sayyidah Aisha says, and I repeat, we must do this until the hearts return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
The response of the Sahaba والسلام, to the instructions and injunctions of the Quran was swift and positive. If we look for example, when wine was declared haram, and wine was only declared haram as we know in, in Medina, not in Makkah. For 13 years in Makkah, it was fine. There was no prohibition. Umar ibn al-Khattab was the one that continuously insisted to the Prophet when is Allah going to make clear the stance of Islam on wine? Every time, every time a verse of wine was revealed, for example when the verse, first verse was revealed to the Nabi sukara. do not approach the salah when you are drunk when you say to drunkenness, Omar said, when is Allah going to really make it clear what is the position of wine? Then Allah revealed the verse again, فِيمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ وَمَنَافِعُ لِلنَّاسِ وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ نَفْعِهِمَا Allah then revealed the verse where Allah says, فِيمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ In gambling and while there is good and bad, but the evil outweighs the bad. That was the second verse. Third verse of course was, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely made wine haram. Umar was very happy. One day Umar was, Umar, Sahaba saw Umar, he was laughing and then crying. And they asked him, why, why, why are you laughing and then crying? He said, I'm laughing because in the time of Jahiliyyah, I went on a journey. And he said, normally when we go on a journey, at that time we couldn't take Lat and Manat and Uzzah with us because they were too big. So we used to take, we have to have small gods. We, have to, we, had, we used to have small idols. Like today people carry the photograph of their sheikh in their pockets or hang it on their walls. That is the, that is the idol which they carry with them. Okay. And similarly, Omar said, that day he forgot to take his idol with him. So when his time for prayer came, when he wanted now to pray to his God in the desert, he discovered that he forgot his, his idol at, in Makkah. So what he did was, he had some dates with him. So he said he made, fashioned the date into an idol. He took the date and fashioned it into an idol. And he worshipped this idol made of dates. And then he said what he did was, when he was finished, worshipping the date idol, he ate the idol. Because it was dates. And he said, when he thinks about that, he laughs. When he thinks how stupid he was, and how silly he was, he laughed. I want you to remember that Omar was one of the most intelligent people who lived in Makkah at the time. He was of the, of the few people, less than 20 people who could read and write, Omar was one of them. Omar was not only very intelligent, he was a great warrior. So, Iman doesn't depend on your intelligence. Not to commit shirk has got nothing to do with your intelligence. The most intelligent people worship sheikhs and, and peers and graves. Most intelligent. You find them amongst the top class surgeons, uh, doctors, lawyers, business people. So it is not about saying, oh, but you know, it's an intelligent man. No, no. Abu Lahab and Abu Jal were the leaders of the Quraysh. They were the leaders of the Quraysh. But they worshipped idols. 
It's not a matter of intelligence. What is it a matter of? It is a matter of understanding the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they asked Omar, why are you crying? He said, I'm crying because I decided to bury my daughter one day. You know, Quraysh used to bury their daughters. And he said, after I dug the hole, my beard was full of sand and dust. And my little daughter that I was going to bury, she dusted my beard. She said, Daddy, look at the dust and sand. Can you imagine? Subhanallah. The liberatory air that Islam brought to the world. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. And look at the change that Umar underwent. Look at the change. From a man who loved to imbibe liquor, who buried his daughter alive, who worshipped idols, who wanted to kill the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa he turned into a man whom Allah promised Jannah on the dunya. So to change into a good Muslim and a good worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't depend on intelligence, depends on your understanding of the message of the Qur'an. So when Khamar was prohibited in Medina, what happened? When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the verse, إِنَّمَا الْخَمْرُ وَالْمَيْسِرُ وَالْأَزْلَامُ وَالْأَنصَابُ وَالْأَزْلَامُ رِيشُ مِنْ عَمَلِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَاجْتَنِبُوا This was the verse that changed. That said, from now on, wine was haram. Umar ibn Khattab said that the streets of Medina was flowing with wine. People who had wine in their hand to break the cup. People who had wine in their mouth spat it out. People who had wine in their stomach induced vomiting and vomited it out. People, everything was destroyed. Immediately. There was no law passed in the parliament. There was no tadarruj. Uh, there was no, well fine, we'll first ban advert, advertising of wine, then we'll ban this and then we'll ban. No, no, no. Allah SWT revealed and immediately it was put into practice and immediately Sahaba obeyed. Radiallahu ta'ala and so it is important for us to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first wanted to make the iman. And that is why when, we, when somebody asks us to become a Muslim, somebody should ask you to become a Muslim. You can't give the person a long lecture about, brother or sister, you must not be careful, you know, you must fast in the month, you must first consider, you must pray five times a day, you must fast in the month of Ramadan and so forth and so on. No, 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 no. You should not give any lectures to somebody who wants to become a Muslim. If a man wants to become a Muslim or a woman, it's not your job to lecture the person. Because the acceptance of Islam is unconditional. You can't say to the person, well, you know, are you prepared to stop drinking? I know you drink. Are you prepared to stop doing that? You must stop this and stop that. Never mind that Muslims also drink, but that's beside the point. If the man says to you, but you know, Muslims also drink, what are you going to say to the man? To the woman, whoever it is. No. So acceptance of Islam is unconditional. You were just telling to say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah That is your job. What happens after that is in the hands of Allah. So already Allah has given him hidayah or her hidayah. Not your job. Then you can advise the person. You can't first say to him, you know, you must first circumcise. What nonsense? What nonsense? What is, that's not your job. It could nothing to do with you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
He is the one who gives guidance. Allah SWT is, the law only becomes law upon him once he says La ilaha illallah. Before that, he doesn't have to listen to you. Only once he says his kalima, then you can sit him down and say, Now brother or sister, now you have to do this, 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 this. And if he doesn't want to do it, that also is up to him. But your job is, today we say, well, you know, we must have classes for converts first. First, the convert must go to a class for three months. And if the convert dies, before he says his kalima, then where will you be by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Imagine somebody comes in and says, I want to accept Islam. And you say, brother, come back tomorrow. I've got, I've, I've, I've got the book at home. I must tell you, I must give you this book. I must take you to my sheikh. I must take you to my... No, no, no. Because that person may die the next minute. Then who's responsible for that person dying as a kafir? So it's very important. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the revelation of the Qur'an is a revelation which first wanted to plant the seed of tawheed in the hearts of the sahaba alayhim as-salatu wasalam. And that's why the word qalb is so important. Qalb. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it is the qalb, the heart of a person that will reveal the state of his iman in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the word taqallub comes from the word qalb. And it means change. It means that the heart is something which changes very quickly, very easily. And it's important for us to keep a rein on the heart. If we do not keep a rein on the heart, the heart will run away with us. Some people say, well, it can be the mind. But that is so. And the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his dua was always to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, most famous dua, Ya muqallib al-qulub. O mover of the hearts. O he who guides the hearts. والأبصار ثبت قلوبنا على دينك أو الله سبحانه وتعالى move of the hearts make our hearts firm on your deen so my dear brothers and sisters if we say that the remembrance and the reminding of ourselves of Jannah and Jahannam strengthens the Iman then let us compare four areas of this dunya and the akhirah. Let's do a comparison in terms of time. And then do a comparison in terms of the quantity of what we have in the dunya and the quantity of what we'll have in the akhirah. And let us look at the quality of what we have in the dunya and the quality of what we'll have in the akhirah. And also the purity of what Allah subhanahu will give us in the akhirah. The first question we ask ourselves, when we make a comparison between this world and the after, the first is, question we ask ourselves is, how long does a Muslim live on average? 60 years? Well, they say, 60 is the new 50. Be that as it may, maybe we live for 70 years, maybe 80 years. Hardly do people live until 100. So we may say on average, a person lives in the dunya for a hundred or less years. 
If you live over 100, mashallah. But on average, we live under 100 years. In the Akhirah, how long will we live in the Akhirah? 100 years? When 100 years comes, we'll still be alive in the Akhirah. 1,000 years come, we'll still be alive. A million years come, we'll still be alive. A billion years come, we'll still be alive. Why? Because we were created for the Akhirah. We were created for the Akhirah, and the Akhirah is eternal. We know death in the Akhirah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us for the Akhirah, either Jannah ila al-abad, or Jahannam ila al-abad. Either we will be in the Jahannam forever, for all those hundreds of billions of years, or we'll be, we'll be in Jannah forever, for hundreds and billions of years. So isn't it important to know what will take us to Jannah? And isn't it important to know what will take us to Jahannam? If we have to make a ratio between Jannah and Jahannam, if we have to do a ratio, what do you do when you do a ratio? You divide the one number into the other one. If we divide eternity into a hundred, which is our average span of life on the earth, what do we get? What will every mathematician and scientist without doubt tell you that a hundred divided by eternity is zero. Zero. So the mathematical comparison between Akhirah and Dunya is zero. The, uh, the Dunya compared to the Akhirah is zero. That is why Allah says in a hadith, لَوْ كَانَتِ الدُّنْيَا تَعْدِلُ جَنَاحَ بَعُوضَةٍ لَمَا سَقَ اللَّهُ كَافِرًا شُرْبَةَ مَاءٍ Nabi Sallallahu says, If the whole of the dunya had to be equal to the wing of a mosquito in the eyes of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, Allah would not have given the kafir a sip of water. If the whole of the dunya had to be equal to not the two wings of a mosquito, if Allah considered the value of this dunya, subhanallah, to be equal to the value of the wing of a mosquito, of course the wing of a mosquito is valueless, if that had to be Allah's consideration, Allah would not have given the kafir anything. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala considers the value of this dunya less than the value of one wing of a mosquito. And that is why when you look at the kuffar, you see how they live. Allah gives them everything, because this, this whole dunya is not equal to that. So when we sacrifice for the dunya, we sacrifice for zero. If we don't do hundred times the sacrifice for akhirah. As I said last week, about the parents who would take the children to school at the beginning of the school year, take the child by the hand in a new uniform, pays the fees up front, or takes out a debit order to pay his fees of two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand rand per month, not per year. All joyful, in a joyful state. Photos get taken of the child, get sent to all the family members, child in his new uniform going to school. 
How many parents take their child by the hand to the madrasa? And how many parents take out a debit order to pay the madrasa? So that is the sacrifice we make for this dunya that's not even worth half a mosquito wing. And one day when we look back, when we're in the akhirah and we look back at the dunya, we'll realize what we've missed. And for many of us it'll be too late. Like, like I said last year, to read the talqeen to a dead person is too late. Too late. Too late to remind a person who's already dead, you must say this when the angel comes, and you must answer that when the angel comes, and you must answer that when the angel comes. If he didn't learn that before he died, he's not going to even hear you in his grave. He'd be too concerned about what's going to happen to him in terms of punishment. So Allah SWT says, اِقْتَرَبَ لِلنَّاسِ حِسَابُهُمْ وَهُمْ فِي غَفْلَةٍ مَعْرِدُونَ Allah SWT says in Surah Al-Anbiya, which is the 21st Surah, verse number 1, Allah says, the reckoning of man is near. Not of you, man. The reckoning of every man is near. We just don't know how near our personal reckoning is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, but we are heedless. We are heedless about the akhirah. We are heedless about preparation. We are heedless about thinking, what are we going to say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when He asks us this question and that question. We are just rushing headlong into the dunya. The more we have, the more we want. Let's compare the dunya and the akhirah in terms of quantity. How much of this dunya do we have when we pass away, say, the age of 100? If you're a hard-working man, mashallah, you'll probably own in this dunya a piece of land with a house on it. If you have extra money, maybe you'll have a house, a beach house or a holiday home. Considered to be a rich man. If you're a little bit richer, maybe you have 10 plots or 20 plots. Maybe you'll earn a building in Adley Street. And so forth and so on. How many people own a neighborhood in Cape Town? How many people do you know that owns a whole township in Cape Town? I don't think anybody knows anybody. How many people do you know owns maybe a quarter of London? Nobody. Not even the richest man. Not even Bill Gates. Who owns a city. How many people own a city? I don't know anybody. I've never heard of anybody owning. Oh, well, there are people who own islands. Yeah, there are people. But people own a whole city, you know. So the extent of our ownership of this dunya is very limited. No matter how rich we are. What about the akhirah? What about ownership of the akhirah? And we know the hadith, I've narrated the hadith many times, of the last person who will leave Jahannam and enter Jannah. The last person. And remember the Nabi Wasallam said, only the muwahidun, only the muwahidun, the muwahidun, who are the muwahidun? Those who said, believed, and worshipped Allah alone. No matter how much sin that person has, if that person first has to go to Jahannam for cleansing, that person will eventually go to, to Jannah. 
Only the Muwahid. Those people of, amongst the Muslims who committed shirk will remain in Jahannam forever. Even though they may have said, La ilaha illallah. That is why the greatest fight of Muhammad sallallahu wasallam was against shirk. 13 years in Makkah, he preached nothing else except not to ascribe a partner to Allah in any shape or form and not to commit shirk in any shape or form. So this man who will leave Jahannam the last is the man who has the most sins of all the Muslims in the whole of the world from Adam until Muhammad So he comes out of Jahannam after a while and he eventually reaches the gate of Jannah and he says to Allah, Ya Allah. And when he reaches the gate of Jannah, he hears the sounds inside Jannah. He hears people laughing. He hears people enjoying themselves. And he says, Ya Rab, oh my Lord. And you can feel the enjoyment that people have just by listening. And he says, Ya Allah. Just the last wish I want, please let me go into Jannah. So Allah says, fine, go into Jannah. So he goes into Jannah and he comes out again and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to him, why, why are you coming out? He says, Jannah is full, no place. After all, I'm the last man, you know, last in the queue. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, no, 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 no. Go back to your places inside. He goes in, he comes out again, he says, ya Rab, it's full. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this hadith in Bukhari, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, to the man, Ya Abdi, oh my servant, what will you say if I tell you that the Jannah I've prepared for you is equal to the science of the dunya and what it contains? Does anybody know the size of the dunya? What is the size of the dunya? Of this earth in which we live? What do you think is the size? 510 million 72,000 square kilometers. 510, you say, wow, that's a lot of kilometers. Eh? 510 million. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying to this man, this is the worst man, the last man who comes out of Jannah. He is Jannah equal to 510 million 72,000 square kilometers. Then he stands and he looks at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he's shocked, he's shocked, I mean shocked out of his words. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I will multiply it for you by one, twice the size. Then Allah says by two, by three, by four, by five. So when Allah comes to he says, Ya Raditu, Ya Rab, Raditu. He was so ashamed. He said, Ya Allah, I, I'm such a bad person, I was such a bad person in the dunya. Ya Allah wants to give me my part of Jannah will be equal to five times, five times five hundred million square kilometers. SubhanAllah. You know, when I read this, I said to myself, wow, is Jannah so big? I mean, it must be big. And I went on the internet and I googled the size of the biggest star that is in our universe. So you know what? Google can't give you the size of the biggest star. What Google gave me was that there is a star in the universe that sheds of its weight. 
250 million times the size of the dunya every day. Now that eat me like a... I mean that one star. One star in the universe sheds of its weight every day 250 million times the size of this earth. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises man five times the size of the dunya in Allah's universe, in Allah's Jannah, it's nothing. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him, Finally, my dear slave, I actually prepared for you, your, your Jannah is equal to ten times the size of the dunya, not five times. Because he just dropped his head and he shook it. And Allah subhanahu wa said to him, now that I've given you, now that you know the size, can you imagine the size of just another ordinary Muslim who wasn't as bad as him? How big his Jannah will be? So it is important to remind ourselves of these things to strengthen the iman. So then Allah said to him, Oh my slave, Ya Abdi, Tamanna, wish whatever you want to wish for. Come now, you've got the dunya now, I mean you've got your, your size of, the, of, of your jannah that you're going to be in for the rest of your life forever. Wish. Hatta idha inqata'al amani. Nabi Sallallahu said, and he wished until he couldn't wish anymore. He asked for The Ferrari, I suppose, and the whatever, you know, the, whatever people ask for, I don't know what we'll ask for in the jungle. I don't know. So Allah subhanahu wa have you now, you done? Have you asked whatever you want, mashallah, to fill up your, your big jannah, mashallah, that I've given you? He says, yes, Allah subhanahu wa said to you. Now on top of all that, I will give you that which will satisfy your heart and please your eyes. I've now given you all the physical material things. You know, sometimes you have all the physical and material things, but you don't have tranquility of heart. We know that. That's why we have people called psychologists and psychiatrists who make millions and millions, sorry, maybe they don't make millions, but they make lots of money. And they do it because people don't have this kind of tranquility. So Allah subhanahu is the final, the cherry on the cake for every person is to have that absolute tranquility. Finally, finally peace. So he goes into Jannah and he thinks to himself, wow, I'm the king. I am the man. I have got the biggest gift which Allah subhanahu could have given to anybody. Ten times the size of the dunya. He's oblivious of the fact that there were other Muslims better than him. Imagine what they will get. Subhanallah. And Abi Musa once asked Allah, he said, Ya Rab, what will be the jannah of the person who's the best? That will be Muhammad. What will be then, if this is the jannah of that man, what will be the jannah of the greatest whom Allah has created? And Allah said to Musa, those people... Probably the Anbiya, the Shuhada, the Salihun, good people. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ غَرَسْتُ كَرَامَتَهُمْ بِيَّدِي 
فيها فلا عين رأت ولا أذن سمعت ولا خطر على قلب بشر. Allah says, those good people, the best people, I have planted their honor with my own hand. Look at Allah, Allah put. Allah says, Allah says, I have planted their honor with my own hand. And in their Jannah will be that which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no anybody has wished for. Subhanallah. Allah says, and then I have completed it and sealed it. And it will be for them a surprise on the day of Qiyamah. So that is the quantity, or rather, the quantity of what we'll get in the Akhirah compared to the quantity which we have on the dunya. And that's why the Nabi said, La fil dunya wa to have a piece of real estate in the Jannah equal to the length and breadth of a whoop is better than the world and what it contains. And what about the Jahannam? Nabi Sallallahu said, that the person with the least amount of punishment in Jannah will, in Jahannam will be a person who will have a small piece of coal put under one of his feet that will make his brains boil. That will be the Ahwan al-Adab fi Jahannam. That will be the least punishment. And he said that punishment will be for uh, the uncle of Muhammad wasallam, Abu Talib. And Allah will ask the people of Jahannam. Allah will say to them, Why is it that you find yourself in Jahannam? Why? Why is it that, oh son of Adam, all I wanted from you, Allah will say is, not to associate a partner with me. All I wanted from you was, that you should not associate a partner with me. Oh son of Adam, all I wanted from you was to love the words La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah All I wanted from you was to worship none except me. All I wanted from you. I didn't ask you to starve yourself to death. I didn't ask you to live in the open or to live in... I haven't asked you to punish yourselves. All I asked you was not to commit shirk. So isn't it important for us to understand this concept very, very well? What do we do today? Today, we fraternize with the people who give Allah a son and a mother. We elevate them above those who say La ilaha illallah. We fraternize with them on public platforms in stadiums. And we insult Allah and His Prophet by saying, 
we are celebrating the birthday of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. How can we celebrate the birthday of Muhammad sallallahu when we elevate at that celebration those people who give Allah a partner and who dislike Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam? What has become of us? That we elevate the kuffar above the Muslims. Somebody wrote a letter to the paper to say that, why weren't the leaders of the Muslim parties invited? Why were only the kuffar and the leaders of the parties of the kuffar invited? Why were only political leaders invited and not religious leaders? Why were they invited in the first place? Why do we have the celebration in the first place when the Nabi warned us, do not elevate me like the kuffar, the Christians elevated Isa Because they elevated Isa to the point where they declared him to be not only the son of God, but God himself on Allah. And we elevate them. What does Allah ask from us? يَعْبُدُونَ لِي لَا يُشْرِكُونَ بِي شَيَعًا Allah says, they should worship me and do not make shirk against me. That is what's required. Plus, that is what's requirement. But what do we do? We look for all kinds of funny things. And we create things, new things, there is no precedent in Islam, and we say this is part of Islam. And the worst part of this is these people are so-called ulama, huffaz. But this is all prophesied by the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. They will have the Quran on their tongues and nifaq in their hearts. Why? Because the intention is to please the people and not to please Allah. The intention is to play politics with the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The intention is not to tell the truth, but to tell that which appeases the masses. The Nabi ﷺ said to his uncle, Abu Talib, when Abu Talib said to him, Oh Muhammad ﷺ, you know I grew up in the shirk, in this worshipping of idols, I'm not going to leave this. Uh, what about you? You know, the Quraysh has come to me with an offer. They said they'll give you the most beautiful woman in Arabia, they'll give you all the money, they'll make you their king and everything else. All you need to do is, you must just stop preaching about, against shirk, you must stop preaching about that people should only worship one Allah. And everything else is crea- the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What did the Nabi Sallallahu say? He said, oh my uncle, if you put the sun in my right hand and the moon in my left hand, I will never stop preaching the Tawheed of Allah. So it's very, 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 very important for you and for me to know that our Jannah lies in that which Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came. Our Jannah lies 
in getting rid of all the cobwebs and all the nonsense that man has accumulated and added to this deen over 1500 years. Our salvation lies in the Qur'an. And in the Qur'an there is none of this. In the Qur'an, there is none of this. We always talk about our forefathers. Lots of them were very good people. They were ulama, they were salihin, they were awliya. In my lifetime, and I'm a pensioner, in my lifetime, my forefathers didn't celebrate the birthday of the best man whom Allah sent to the earth. On a track, in a stadium, with a kuffar. So that argument cannot be used. I don't know what argument they're using now, because they seem to have an argument for everything. We are being inundated by people who come from wherever they come and change here the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, you can, you can jump up and down now. They say, oh, the Prophet also jumped up and down. They even accuse the Nabi of doing this which he never did. Just to support the argument. This is a man who teaches people hives of the Qur'an. Jump up and down in the masjid, in the dark mosque, and saying this is part of Islam. Can you imagine, can you imagine, just imagine in your mind, Muhammad jumping up and down. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine such a great man, such an honorable man doing that? Can you just imagine, you can't. You can't. Can you imagine Omar or Abu Bakr or Osman or Ali doing that? You can't. Yet these are things we are told. So it is important for you and for me to understand why we are Muslim and what is Islam. Islam is to worship Allah alone. Islam is to put salawat on Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 24-7. In every salah, in every dua, in every waking moment, when we say the kalima, automatically we put salawat on Muhammad And the salawat which was taught to us by Muhammad sallallahu when the sahaba asked him, Ya Rasulullah, how must we put salawat on you? He said, say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala Ali Ibrahim wa barik ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala Ali Ibrahim fil alamin innaka hamidun majid. In Bukhari. That's in Bukhari. All the rest that we do, that is all man-made. Whatever books and kitabs written by men, all man-made. Muhammad's instruction was, you want to put salawat on me, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلم don't let people tell you oh, that means this and that doesn't mean it only means what has been told to us by Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam not what my father said or what i said no what Muhammad sallallahu alayhi So it's important my dear brothers and sisters if we want to reach the akhirah in the jannah that we purify our faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and get rid of all the accumulation because remember you're going to be asked by Allah Allah say you know I sent you I sent you the best prophet I sent you the best book and what did you do This is what you did And what will we say What will we say We will say ربنا إن أطعنا سادتنا وكبراءنا فأضلنا السبيل. What will what will we say to Allah? Allah says in the Quran, we will say ربنا أو our Lord, we followed our sheikhs, our imams, our maulanas, and our leaders. فأضلنا السبيل. And they misled us. ربنا آتهم ضعفين من العذاب والعنهم لعنا كبيرا. And we say, Allah, give them a double punishment and curse them with a mighty curse. So who will mislead us? That is why in Islam we don't have clergy. Every man must find the truth for himself. We are not like the Catholics and like the Protestants and the Methodists and all that. No, no, no. Every Muslim has the responsibility of knowing his deen, knowing his tawheed, knowing what will take him to Jannah. Very important. And for me and for Those of us who speak is to guide ourselves and you to Jannah. What else is there to guide to? What is the end of all this? The end of all this to go to Jannah. And if we do all this nonsense and we're not going to go to Jannah, what's the point? So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of the muttaqoon. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of the people of Jannah. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhti hasana wa qina azab al-nar. والله تعالى اعلم والسلام عليكم ورحمه الله تعالى وبركاته